Oh, yeah, every Friday we get that little treat when Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen kind of ramp things up for us. That's from their album Desolation Sounds, Fallen Tree Records. You know that doc's coming out. Ayla Brooke, of course, uh, featured. This, it's, it's a cool project, a film project that, that takes on the story of a band. And uh, they know they're not the only band, but a band that had just, just released a brand new album and then the pandemic hit and, and all of their plans to tour and to have big shows and to meet and greet their fans and and probably sign the vinyl copies. That's kind of the cool thing to do. Obviously, that's when you look forward to. You get to talk to your fans, meet them face to face, thank them for being there. Well, those were all shot to hell. So what did Ayla Brooke do? Uh, that documentary, if you missed our conversation with Ayla Brooke, you can go back in our archives. That was about a week ago. We talked to him just over, uh, no, maybe it was exactly a week ago. Anyway, Several shows back, and uh, of course, coming up on the 16th, if you happen to be, it's a Wednesday, if you happen to be in the city of Edmonton, is that a Wednesday, 16th? Is it the 7th is a Monday, that means the 14th is a Monday, it means the 16th is a Wednesday. Uh, Ayla Brooke has a show going on at Starlight Room, and if I remember correctly, these are, uh, this is dangerous when I start going off script, and it's all, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure that admission is free with a donation to the food bank. Right. Sam Brooks giving me the thumbs up on that. So that's cool. So check that out. We've got a ton to talk about today. We're going to get to some of your emails. We're going to be talking about some of the stuff in the news, including Ukraine. The Russians are bombing nuclear facilities. Uh, You don't have to have a Ph.D. in uh, any form of physics or nuclear science or chemistry or anything else, I think, to understand that bombing nuclear facilities is a terrible idea. We're going to get into that. Sarah Hoyles has an update on what's going on in Ukraine. Of course, we'll talk about what's going on here in Canada, including Alberta's premier uh, taking shots. I know a lot of people are interested in comment on this or in chiming in on this one at a professor that's been on this show before, Ubaka Ogbogu. Uh, Ogbogu basically says, and I'll talk about this in a minute, says, I'm going to just wear a mask just to spite the premier. And then the premier starts chiming in, but starts calling him deranged and calling him an NDP professor professor and talking about the left and like it's probably not actually the premier talking and it's probably the premier's comms staff that just weren't hugged enough as children but the thing is it's got people wondering what a what a premier should represent themselves like and what the office should mean and whether or not this is this is maybe kind of getting down into the shit as they say you know what i mean getting the boots dirty Uh, Getting the carpet all messed up in the premier's office because you're down there in the pig straw, like down in the pig sty. You know what I'm talking about? And so we'll get your comments on that. I should probably just say this. Why don't I just do my own trash talk on the fly today? Maybe I'll do We'll see how things go. We've got some good trash talks in, including some that their perspectives conflict with one another. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Sometimes we'll get a great trash talk email on a Monday or a Tuesday, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm just staring at it all week. So tempted to read it. We will get to some of your comments. Uh, some of you have written in, uh, especially and in particular, following our conversation yesterday, are ruminations about masks and mask policies and people's personal mask policies and inclinations. It's got some of you thinking. It's got some of you angry. It's got some of you optimistic. Good stuff. We're going to tell you today how you need to talk to your kids about tough issues like war and climate change, a panel of three psychologists. I'm looking forward to that in about a half hour's time. And we're going to get into that IPCC report, the UN Climate Change Report. We promised you that. Jam-packed shows like this happen because we have amazing support of sponsors like the team at Bitcoin Well. You know, sometimes it feels like when you're talking about crypto, uh, you might be talking about uh, inflation. Maybe you're talking about federal policies. Maybe you're talking about banking or access or savings or the blockchain. There's a whole bunch of different contexts. Lately, it's been the Emergencies Act in Canada 
And then now people are talking about things like economic sanctions. People are talking about the value of the Russian ruble and what's happening there. And man, almost cryptocurrency talk has had a political bend to it, which for a lot of people is unnerving. You go, I want to take the opinion and the politics and the partisan stuff out of this. I just want the facts. I recommend you ask your questions to the team at BitcoinWell. You'll find the link to their website under the sponsors tab on ours, ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Coming up in about five minutes, I'm going to check in with Dr. Shirley Harper. Dr. Harper, uh, lead author on this UN climate change report that just came out. It came out this week. People are talking about it. She's a Canada research chair in climate change and health. And we're going to figure out pretty much right out of the gates. What is a person whose expertise is public health? How do they approach the assignment of authoring or co-authoring a climate change report? And, and, and how does that fit in together? And we may assume that the answer is obvious, but it probably isn't. You know, I bet you there's some nuance to it. So I'm looking forward to that insight. That's coming up in just a little bit. Uh, let's get into this. This is in our neck of the woods. This is in the province of Alberta. Uh, this developing yesterday. A professor, a law professor at the University of Alberta. You've heard Dr. Ubako Ogbogu on this show before. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's appeared on some of our most downloaded episodes, which says something about people's interest in what he has to say. He posts yesterday this or within the last while says, I'm just going to, this is on March 1st. He posted this three days ago. He says, I'm just going to wear a mask now to, to spite Kenny, Jason Kenny, right? You keep in mind that, that two things happen on March 1st. So that's the day he tweeted this on March 1st, Alberta lifted mask restrictions. A lot of COVID restrictions were lifted and that included wearing masks except for in jurisdictions like the city of Edmonton that had its own face coverings bylaw in place. Now, the city of Edmonton, the council, was slated to take a look this coming Tuesday on March 8th. I won't throw too many dates at you. They're not the most relevant. They're not the most important. But the point is, council was set to review that face coverings bylaw next week. And they're going to take a look at the numbers. There's certain criteria they have about how many people are in a hospital or what the infection rate looks like, or et cetera. And that would inform their decision of whether or not they'd lift this mask bylaw, the face coverings bylaw. Well, the province, uh, after the premier for the better part of a year, saying, man, we think that these these mask rules, these 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 restrictions or the restriction exemptions and things like that are better left to the cities. We brought you this clip earlier this week. Jason Kenney says it doesn't make much sense for the province to come in and impose policy on things like masks, because if you're in downtown Calgary or downtown Edmonton in a packed restaurant, it's obviously a lot different than if, if you're living in uh, Drusart or if you're like living in, in High Prairie or if you're way down in the beautiful Crow's Nest Pass area. Maybe maybe you're somewhere down by Cardston or, you know, there's there's virtually nobody there and you're ripping around on your snowmobile. And you know what I mean? And most people go, OK, I, I mean, I guess in a way that kind of makes sense. And maybe it's kind of unusual. Some people called it passing the buck. Well, the premier doesn't want to show leadership. Other people went, no, that is leadership. He's deferring to the municipalities. But that was the position they took. So then Kenny says, well, we're actually going to push through some changes. Majority government can essentially do that. Push through changes without consultation to the Municipal Governance Act, which means that the province is now going to impose its will with regards to lifting mask mandates, it's a it's a direct attack. It's a direct shot at Edmonton. I mean, that's that is what it is. If you don't think that's what it is, my apologies. You don't understand what's going on. That is what it is. And so it's pissing off a lot of people and even conservatives are saying, well, hang on a second. Like this is a pretty big flip flop. It's a flip flop on pretty significant policy. And 
there are also sensitivities, if you're not like a hardcore politico, to the MGA in particular. Municipalities in the province, they're always kind of, you know, they have to have this somewhat amicable relationship, but they're always kind of looking out for their best interests too, and it's not always been the healthiest relationship. So when St. Albert's mayor, Kathy Heron, she's president of the, of the uh, municip- Alberta municipalities, comes out and says, these changes are being rammed through without consultation. They're not talking to us at all. They're not asking us about anything. This is in bad faith. I'm paraphrasing it. We brought you her tweets earlier today or earlier this week. It indicated where people were at. So that's the background. That's where Dr. Ogbogu's coming from when he says, I'm just going to wear my mask despite Kenny, <laughs> right? Despite the premier. And he, and he goes on in his tweet. And he says, staying healthy and protecting my community are now secondary objectives. And people are like laughing, ha ha, that's fine, you know, whatever. But the premier, like the elected premier of Alberta, picks it up. I mean, probably his comms team did. You know, probably. I don't even feel like naming these guys. And they post out from Jason Kenney's Facebook account with like 250, 300,000 people that follow it. Sad to see. Sad. First of all, who says when you when I say sad, who do you think of? What politician? What greasy, deplorable, disgusting former politician do you think of when I say sad? Right. Sad to see how deranged the left has become. The premier how deranged the left has become. This NDP law professor, which is not a title, by the way, that's not a thing. We'll wear a mask to spite me, says Jason. Why is everything always political to these lefties? And why is the NDP angry about getting life back to normal? Well, first of all, it has nothing to do with the NDP. And maybe, as a matter of fact, probably Dr. Ubako Ogbogu votes NDP. I've never asked him directly. Maybe we will next time. He's never been a candidate for the NDP. I can tell you that much. Maybe he's been a donor. I don't know. There's something very rich about Jason Kenney asking, why is everything always political to these people? Politics is all Jason Kenney has. Without politics, Jason Kenney is an empty shell. Literally, there is nobody in Canada who is more about politics than Jason Kenney. But in my mind, I don't even care about the back and forth. And these two can lob hand grenades at each other and they can choose to scrap and and share nasty words on Twitter, which isn't real life as well. If I can just remind everybody about that. What I'm concerned about when I tweeted yesterday is what this guy, Jason Kenney, is doing to the office of the premier, how he has degraded it, how he has embarrassed Albertans, how he drags it down into the muck to get his base chattering and yammering and clapping and cheering like a bunch of hyenas, right? To throw him this red meat they can scramble and fight over, this NDP deranged law professor. This guy's the premier. I'm speaking to the older element of our audience. Hey, me included, kinda. Can you see Peter Lougheed talking like this? You see Peter Lougheed speaking like this? Do you think Ed Stelmack would conduct himself like this. Jim Prentice fought that campaign that ultimately the PCs lost. I mean, he oversaw, may he rest in peace, he oversaw the the demise of a 44-year-old reign. I interviewed Jim Prentice right before that election in studio. Probably the best interview of my career, quite frankly. They wrote about it in the Globe and Mail. It was a tough one for him, and I'll tell you what, he was an absolute class act the entire time and after after the interview, he was a class act. 
agree with his politics or not. Can you see Jim Prentice talking about the deranged left dragging people down like that? Like I said in my tweet yesterday, Albertans deserve better than Jason Kenney. It's not a partisan comment. It's not an anti-conservative comment. It's a personal comment about the guy that occupies the office right now and what he's doing to try to hold and keep that office. Albertans deserve better. Before we get to our first guest, I want to remind you that, of course, as mentioned, it's a big weekend at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. You know that weekends are the times when everybody's got a little more time on their hands. Maybe this weekend you're planning on heading out and looking at the options to reinvent your family ride. You know that before we know it, you're going to be hauling stuff to the dump as part of your spring cleanup. You're going to be pulling your trailer out to that family spot. You're not going to tell any of us where it is. Congratulations on another year securing the family spot at your favorite area. You need something to pull that trailer. How about the Dodge Ram 1500? The 2500? What about the big beauty one-ton Ram 3500? Throw a dually on there and nothing's going to stand in your way. There's no better selection than you'll find at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. You can go see them in person. Tell them that Jespo sent you or browse their inventory online. You can link to them under the Sponsors tab on our website. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that they have the freshest ingredients for your family table. If you're lucky enough to find some time this weekend for family brunch, why not enjoy my personal recommendation? These are the famous Friesen Brothers sourdough cinnamon buns. You'll find them in the bakery, and while you're there, I dare you to try to stay out of all the other aisles. Fresh Alberta honey, that's where we get ours. Thick sliced bacon, Ivan's sausages. They make them in-house using a secret family recipe, and of course, their limited edition garden vegetable seasonal sourdough at 16 different Friesen Brothers locations across the province for more than 65 years, Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Also want to tell you about Athabasca University. I know some of you have been looking at this year, 2022, as a chance to kind of hit that reset button. You're optimistic. You're feeling like these last two years, yeah, they've thrown you a curveball, but you're ready to move on. You're ready to reinvent yourself. You're ready for new opportunities. AU can get you there. If you check out AthabascaU.ca, you can learn more about how AU works, browse their programs and courses, and get the ball rolling on the admissions process. You learn, you study at your own pace, and so you're never falling behind. And if you're the type to want to get ahead, you can do that too at AthabascaU.ca. Well, this new report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, shows that Canada and other nations around the world are already seeing the effects of climate change on our citizens' health. In other words, it's becoming very, very real. Dr. Shirley Harper is a lead author on this climate change report, the Canada Research Chair in Climate Change and Health, an associate prof in the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta, and of course, as mentioned, a contributing author to this report. Dr. Harper, thanks so much for making time for us and welcome to the show. I think we may have you on mute, so we want to just make sure. Can, let's try again. Can I hear you now? Good morning. We've got you loud and clear, doctor. Thanks for making time for us. So you're an expert in public health. So so how does somebody like you in your field, your area of expertise, approach an assignment like this? Well, I think that a lot of Canadians are starting to see how climate change actually impacts our health. If you think about even just this past year, 
We've seen, uh, you know, this massive heat dome that swept through North America. We've seen the flooding in British Columbia. There's been droughts. Um, there's been wildfires. And, and all of these things impacts every facet of, of our life. Um, and one of the key messages that came out of the report is that these impacts from these extreme climate events are happening a lot faster. They're much more widespread and they're much more severe than we had previously thought. Um, and this has huge consequences for every aspect of our life. It impacts our economy, it impacts our infrastructure, um, it impacts our culture and our livelihoods, and of course it, it impacts our health. Um, it, it impacts the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we drink, um, and, and all of that contributes to our health. When you contribute or when you work on a report like this, what, how does it impact you personally? Like, like, like at the end of it, are you a little bit more uh, kind of looking over your shoulder going, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a very intensive process. So it's it's uh, been three years uh, working together with the top climate scientists from all around the world on, on this topic. And and yeah, one of the top findings of, of the report is not an easy one to, to take. And, and actually, this is an important aspect that the report covers is how climate change impacts our mental health. Mm. Um, and not just, um, you know, my mental health, but everyone, everyone's mental health, really. And, and it can impact our mental health in a number of different ways. It can impact us directly, like if we're in one of those areas that's experiencing flooding or wildfires and you have to be evacuated, Obviously, that's very stressful, and the report shows how that can lead to increased things like PTSD, um, stress, and anxiety. It can uh, climate change can also impact us indirectly if it's impacting our livelihoods. For instance, farmers, um, if, if climate change is impacting their crops or their ability to grow food or their their income, that's obviously stressful. Um, and in the case of scientists and, and a lot of people, actually, a lot of Canadians, um, it, it impacts us. Um, through vicariously experiencing climate change impacts through other people. So for instance, you know, with the BC floods or even with the wildfires, watching um, the land being devastated, watching infrastructure be damaged, watching people having to, you know, be evacuated and, and um, really the despair that that causes is really stressful to watch over and over again. And, and there is increasing research that shows that that impacts our mental health and the report covers that as well. Um, I, I don't quite know how to ask the question because misinterpreted, it, it's going to make me sound like a real buffoon, uh, like like I think that we're just better off burying our head in the sand, which I do not agree with. But I've seen it suggested. And, and actually, we've 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 done roundtables on this before and we've talked about it before, about the impact of talking about climate change and our awareness of climate change and how it impacts our mental health. And, and actually, the roundtable we're having right after we talk to you, Dr. Harper, is how to talk to kids about tough subjects like the world going to hell in a handbasket. Right. And so I've seen some people say, well, yeah, no wonder our mental health is impacted so much with all this. The, the, the stories of, you know, the, the sky is falling and the doom and the demise of humanity. And, and you know, and it's almost suggested like this. And it's, it's not my word. But hysteria around climate change is actually what's fueling the mental health problems. Now, of course, the flip side is, well, what do we do? Just ignore it. Pretend like it's not happening. But how do you process what I'm getting at here? I hope I'm getting there. Yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, I like obviously, I mean, the, um, the U.N. Pet, uh, had called this uh, the, the U.N. Atlas of um of uh, of human suffering, this report because 
you know, to be quite frank, uh, science and research is really showing the really devastating impacts that climate change is already having. It's already impacting billions of people around the world. And the report also shows that it's impacting millions of people in North America. Um, so when we're, we're having these conversations, you're absolutely right. It's so important to talk about these things. And research shows the importance of talking about these things. But the, the first part of talking about them is, is recognizing um, what, what the problem is. Um, and the science clearly shows that this is a huge, a huge, huge problem. But our report also really focuses on solutions. And we have a lot of solutions identified. In fact, the report identifies a number of different adaptation strategies or things we can do to reduce the impacts and reduce the risks that are associated with climate change to protect public health, to protect our society, to protect our livelihoods. So we do show that solutions exist that are feasible and effective, but we also show that as uh, you know, warming increases, those solutions will become less and less effective, which really points to the need to also reduce our emissions so we can keep global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is under the uh, international agreement, the Paris Agreement um, for, for emissions. And, and so the report does focus on solutions. And there's lots of things we can do in the context of health to reduce the impacts that climate change is having um, on, on our health. Is there, are there new ones? Like, because we could sit here and, and my time with you is so valuable. We've got like seven minutes left approximately, but we want to respect your time. We asked you to stay with us uh, for that period of time. And, and I know that we can say, well, we can reduce our dependence on fossil fuels and we can work to make our homes and offices more efficient and we can uh, reduce our use on carbon, you know, like, yada, yada, yada. Like, we've heard it all. We know it. Some people are doing it and acting on it. And other people just frankly, my dear, they don't give a damn. But what's new well, okay, so two things. One is that, um, first of all, talking about it is incredibly important. And it, and it sounds like um, you've had these discussions before on how important it is. And the science shows that it's important to talk about this issue. That's the most important thing that individuals can do. The report covers that and covers the science behind that. But we also um, really focus on the importance of sy systemic change um, and the importance of, of cooperation between governments across scales from the municipal level all the way up to the international level. Um, and, and we focus on, on what types of, of solutions are available. So in the context of, of health, just as an example, um, we know that things like heat plans and uh, opening cooling stations, early warning systems, letting people know that heat waves coming, we know that these things protect public health. But we also have seen this past summer um, that with that heat wave, which was completely unprecedented in North America, like nothing we've ever seen before and would have been impossible without climate change, we've seen that even with our you know, very <laughs> robust heat plans and public health infrastructure around heat waves, that when we experience that extreme level of warming, that it's no longer effective. So we need to start investing in adaptation strategies and bolstering them and making them better alongside this um, uh, reducing our emissions. Hmm. On an individual level, talking about it's important. And, and you know, to be honest, I, I have seen a huge change in how people talk about climate change, even in the past three or four years. We have youth going out on the streets, protesting, using these IPCC UN reports and asking their politicians to pay attention to them. So it's grounded in the science. I have seen how climate change has become an election issue from the municipal level, right up to the national level for multiple elections in a row. And then I've also seen how people are starting to keep their politicians and their elected representatives accountable to these climate change promises. So climate change is no longer just this election promise. It's something that people are holding people accountable to on a day-to-day -day basis. 
So those are the types of things that I think are really important for individuals to do in order to affect that systemic change that the report's calling for. Yeah, Shirley, uh, we're talking to Dr. Shirley Harper. If you're just joining us, you know, one of the things I noticed that people talk about normalizing things, uh, it's almost kind of become kind of a cynical thing, like normalize and then insert the blank. But if you talk about normalizing, talk about climate change, I find that it, it still even has a personal impact for me. And every once in a while, one of my friends will kind of surprise me a little bit. And I don't mean offense to them, but we'll be talking about something. I go, well, what prompted you to do that? Or what, what was up with that? And they go, well, just with like climate change and everything. And you go, oh, like, kind of good for you. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it, it, that has an impact. And people will go like, what, do you deserve a medal? No. But the fact that it's on people's radar, I think, is at least a positive step. Now, here's the thing. This report seems to indicate that those conversations better heighten in frequency and amplitude, right? I mean, we're talking, why is 2030? Why is the year 20, like that's eight, less than eight years from now. Why is 2030 so important? Yeah, I mean, the report shows that these things are already happening. I think that when the last report was published in 2014, these were things that seemed sort of far away that climate change would impact us. But what this current report that was just published shows is that it's already impacting us. And we also show how this, this window of opportunity for us to start to take action is rapidly closing. So we need to take action now because even if we completely stopped emitting um, you know, uh, emissions today, uh, we would still see impacts from climate change increase over, over the next decade. The key is to keep it manageable, to keep it below 1.5 degrees. If we go to two degrees warming, things like our healthcare systems, our social systems, um, our, our infrastructure will all be overwhelmed by cl climate change, quite frankly, and it'll be quite catastrophic. And the report shows that. So we need to start taking actions today um, because the report shows that we're not on track to a climate resilient future. And every single decision that we make today in the context of climate change can either take us further away or closer to a climate resilient future. Can we talk about jurisdiction, geography, basically where you are, where you where you're born, where you grew up, where you lived? Uh, a lot of us. Uh, quite frankly, hit the lottery. I mean, you know, I, I saw somebody tweet the other week. It really resonated with me. They said the only difference between you and somebody in a refugee camp is luck. Uh, and it's quite true. But we're realizing now that that uh, in the in the cruel trend, um, those that are impacted uh, arguably the most deeply and the most significantly are those in developing nations. Right. And um, and there's also an implication here with regards to urban or rural areas. Can we talk about where you are and how it affects you? Yeah, I mean, that certainly is, is important. And the report shows that there are certain countries and certain regions like um, uh, Africa and African countries that are certainly more exposed to climate change. They're experiencing climate change more impacts and, and they're also um, more vulnerable to climate change impacts. But the report also shows that there are areas within countries that are also um, more exposed um, or, or more vulnerable to climate change. So for example, people who live on coastal areas are obviously going to be exposed to things like sea level rise more than other people. Um, you know, people in the prairies might be more exposed to things like um, drought. So where you live really matters. But even if you live in the same place, the way you experience that climate change impact can differ. So even if you think about the, the heat dome that, that came through um, the, the country last summer, um, I live in Edmonton and the way I experienced the heat wave would be very different than even my neighbor and then other neighborhoods because of, of different access to things like services, to different access to cooling stations, to um, infrastructure, to basements, to places to cool down, to information. 
Um, all of these things differ within communities. So the report shows that yes, there are certain places around the world that are more vulnerable than others, but some of those places exist within our own country and within our own cities and really speaks to the importance of things like equity and justice. Yeah, one of the cool things about the report, I guess, if, if, if you're looking for the positives of the silver linings in what is essentially an indictment of our human habits, is that the cities also offer real opportunities right, to combat climate change or to try to avoid, avoid worst case scenarios. So, so some of them might be obvious, like more robust public transit opportunities. I'm seeing more people talk about solar installations or even things like greenery on roofs of buildings, right? Like, I don't know, one of my favorite buildings in Vancouver's got, I think it's an Arbutus tree. It looks like it's 50 years old at the top of a condo building. It's remarkable. I mean, is that the type of stuff we're talking about? Or do we need, can you blow our mind a little bit on bigger picture stuff too? Yeah, so there's things that we can do right away that can help. Um, and there's things that take longer longer term. So changing our building codes and change, uh, you know, creating greener infrastructure and things like that. Those types of decisions need to be made today. And we might not even see them, you know, fully implemented for, um, you know, five or six years because that's just how long that, you know, that process takes. So that just points to the importance of taking action today. And what's, what's really interesting for me as somebody who um, really focuses on these health impacts is that all the things you just mentioned have really important benefits for health. So improve, you know, improving um, our transportation systems, having green spaces in cities, um, all, all of these things are, are really important. So actually a lot of these adaptation strategies, um, you know, can be implemented within the health sector to improve health. But where we actually see most of the health benefits is where adaptation strategies are implemented outside of the health sector. So there's lots of co-benefits and and things that are are really great about doing these things beyond the climate crisis. Uh, Dr. Shirley Harper, Canada Research Chair in Climate Change and Health and Associate Professor, School of Public Health, University of Alberta, and a lead author on this UN Climate Change Report. Thanks so much for your insight. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, you bet. Encourage you real talkers to share that interview with anybody you think might benefit from it. I think there's a lot of young people that would love to hear about this. They're, they're going to be disproportionately affected by this, right? This is essentially, uh, don't quote me on this because I don't mean it. The words as a poll quote would look really bad, but it's their problem. I'm not saying it's not our problem. Uh, but if you look at when people tug on the heartstrings, they say, won't you think of the children? What about this? What are you leaving our grandchildren, right? They're inheriting this. So I, I saw once, I think it was an indigenous, um, uh, not like a proverb, but a saying, I saw it stamped and I'm probably going to mess it up, but it was something along the lines of like our children. I saw this, it was, it was when we were down in, in Hawaii, it was down in Maui. So I don't know if this is, is a Hawaiian sort of a proverb, but it said, um, our children don't inherit the planet from us. We borrow it from them. And I thought that that was really powerful. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen it. I'm, I'm, I'm not bragging, but I posted it with a nice sunset shot with a with a humpback tail just before it was going down. I was pretty excited about that photo. Hey, talking about steps that you can take uh, to, to lessen your footprint. Um, what about save money along the way? Let me tell you about Kubi Energy. You know them by now. Solar energy solutions to power your life. They're doing big, huge installations like the one you can see on their website, kubienergy.ca. That's the Edmonton Convention Center. That whole thing, that whole front-facing glass looking onto the North Saskatchewan River facing south, that's all solar paneling. Can you believe it? Look at how good that looks. You can imagine a skyscraper that would be up in the entire thing. Panels, wouldn't that be cool? Well, there's amazing new technology happening with window panes and all kinds of cool stuff, including residential applications. You want to give them a call or, or, or send them an email. You can get a free quote on their website. Just write them and say, hey, what's the coolest, most innovative, but not astronomically expensive 
residential or commercial or agricultural or industrial solar application, and their eyes will light up. They're like, let's talk. They love it at kubienergy.ca. What about another step you could take? Like, like I don't know, putting in more lawn. You know, that's actually a terrible idea. I was going to say putting in more lawn. What I'm getting at is vegetable garden boxes. But you want to get rid of some of the paving stuff. You know, maybe the you, you bought this new house. Maybe it's, uh, or it's new to you. It's been around for a while. But they've got this big, huge parking pad in the backyard. And you're going, that with like actual sort of plant matter instead, like a veggie garden box. Everybody's doing those now. It's like this new trend, but maybe you go, well, I'm not going to get around to building that. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know my way around a circular saw. I'm not going to hammer my thumb to the board. Mike and his team will do it at Eden Landscaping. That's part of what they do. You can browse their entire portfolio at landscapeedmonton.ca. Today's a great day to get in touch with them. And if you want to just forget about it all and just sink your teeth into one of the best burgers you're ever going to find, may I personally recommend the brand new Signature Stack Burgers at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. Whether it's mushroom cheeseburger or loaded steakhouse or flamethrower or bacon two cheese or, or one of the other amazing stars of this newly released menu. They've reinvented the entire thing, their burger menu at DQ. You can make them a single, a double, or a triple if you're really talking serious at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, DeMayo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Coming up in about five minutes, how to talk to your kids, how to have tough conversations with your kids about issues that matter, but they're tough ones, right? Like war or climate change, all the things essentially that we're talking about here on Real Talk. We know that these are difficult conversations and we want to be equipped. It's a bit of a selfish exercise for me. We're trying to figure out how to talk to our six-year-old right now about some of this stuff. Three psychologists going to join us. It's going to be a great conversation. I've got Sam Brooks and Sarah Hoyles along this morning, of course, and, and, and Sarah's monitoring what's happening in Ukraine, et cetera. And Sarah's not going to be able to join us uh, right now as she's getting our roundtable set to go. But Sam, I have to ask you about this. I, I was, uh, as we're talking about five, 10 minutes before the show, and I see that Bret Hart, Bret the Hitman Hart is trending. And I know that you know, he's had ownership and involvement, of course, with the WHL's Calgary Hitmen, and they just released a new jersey. And I thought, well, maybe that's it. But that would be strange that he would be trending like a week and a half after the jersey was released. So then I find out, have you seen this yet? Or is this going to be fresh to your eyes? Do you have any idea why he's trending? Not one bit. No. Okay. Oh, I'm so excited because it just puts you on the <laughs> Not spot. Not one bit. It puts you on the spot, which makes for a great chat. So Bodog, you know, the betting site has just released a list. They say, do you agree with these all-time Canadian athletes rankings? And, and I'm not sure it's their list because it doesn't seem to me like they agree. But here it is from one to ten or we'll go ten to one. That's more fun if you're listening on the podcast. Number ten, Brett the Hitman Hart, top ten all-time Canadian athlete. Number nine, GSP, George St. Pierre, a legend of mixed martial arts. Number eight, Mike Weir, Masters champion golfer. Number seven, Sidney Crosby. Right, three-time Stanley Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, and like. Number six, Haley Wickenheiser, uh, arguably the, the the greatest female hockey player of all time. Is it even arguable? I don't even know if it's arguable. I don't think it's arguable. Okay, no, at least until even. yeah. <laughs> Number five, two-time NBA MVP Steve Nash from Vancouver Island. Number four, uh, the magnificent one, Mario Lemieux, numero 66. Number three, Clara Hughes, summer Olympian, winter Olympian, gold medalist, and Real Talk alum. Number two, the great one, Wayne Gretzky. Number one, Terry Fox. So the question is, do you agree with these all-time athlete rankings, Canadian athlete rankings? Uh, now, Bodog pointing out themselves, number one, uh, I'm curious to know if you know the name that they would identify as not on the list, which is mind-boggling. 
No, I don't. Like, she this laid, is... She's laced up soccer cleats for Canada. For oh, Christine Sinclair. How is Christine? How is Christine? Sinclair how is Christine Sinclair not on that list? You go to you go to an Elks game at Commonwealth Stadium. They have posters up that's just like you know sports photos from like the best events that they've ever had at Commonwealth, and. There's, um, I, I, I kind of giggle when I see it because there's the U19 soccer women's world championship from early 2000s. And it's this giant poster of like 17 year old Christine Claire yeah. Sinclair, who's like now one of the biggest sports stars Canada's ever seen. It's yes. just like, yeah, it's so cool. Like she, she is, she's, she's, um, I mean, I, I have a hard time with these rankings and these lists because you, you know, you can sort of say, well, like what's exactly the criteria? Like Steve Nash never won an NBA championship, but he's an unbelievable, I mean, two time MVP of the league. Like I think he belongs on the list, but then you go, okay, well like Clara Hughes for sure. But, but also you look at other Canadian Olympians that aren't on there. I mean, like Donovan Bailey's not on the list, which is uh, kind of an interesting one. What about some of the great Canadian, Canadian baseball players. I don't know if Larry Walker deserves to be on the list or Ferguson Jenkins or, you know, there's yeah, it's, and I mean, like it's a bit of, it's a bit of a team sport centric list. You know what I mean? Aside from, you know, they put Terry Fox in the top spot deservedly. I think, I mean, the, the man with, is it, do I dare ask if he deserves to be number one? I think do that, I, do, do I dare ask? Oh boy. I okay. Well, I, we can open that up. I mean, the thing is, is that like Terry Fox was not a professional athlete, didn't play for a league, wasn't part of it. Agreed. Didn't win gold medals for Canada. However, I mean, how can you ignore inspiring a nation for decades to come running with one prosthetic leg across the country? Before, like, like before your 22nd birthday. Yeah. Right? Like Terry Fox is arguably the greatest Canadian. Period. Uh, they're talking about putting him on the $5 bill, which I think is, Ooh, I think cool. would be a really, I've seen some mock-ups and I think they look amazing. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think, I, I think that, that Christine Sinclair off the list is bonkers. I'd almost pull, and I hate to say this cause he's the captain of my fantasy hockey team, but, but I think you got to pull Sidney Crosby off that list. If it's top 10 all time and you've already got Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux on the list. I mean, the interesting thing about this top 10 all time thing is like really all of these athletes are from the last 20 years. So also like, how can this point. really be an all-time That's also list. a great point. If you talk to somebody, a mixed martial arts fan, they'll say GSP has to be on there. Like, he's one of the all-time great mixed martial artists, period. Not one of the great Canadians. Bret Hart was a dominated professional wrestling for like 10 years, built an empire. His dad's stew. Everybody knows the story. But also, uh, spoiler, I hope this doesn't ruin anybody's day, but like, wrestling's fake. So... <laughs> Like and I like Bret Hart. Bret Hart's a yeah, beauty. Bret like, Hart's awesome. I he's a beauty, but like top ten Canadian athlete all time. So I guess this is why he's trending, obviously. And I don't mean disrespect to Bret Hart, but so, I mean it's like, is he an actor? Is he an athlete? He's probably. Both. I mean, it, it, he's an athletic guy. Wrestlers are athletic people. They train. They work out. They are you know built like athletes. Um, they do a performance. <laughs> the top ten art. list of people built like athletes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I can get behind. Now that's a list I can get behind. <laughs> the top 10 people built like it. Will you start mocking that up if you don't mind on yeah, our Real okay. Talk whiteboard? Okay, whiteboard. Good. Right under the. Wait, uh, do we finally get a whiteboard? I was going to say right under the score sheet for all the people that have yeah. been awarded points for their takes on. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, you can let me know what you think. I, uh, so, you know, I, I, Do I dare check in? So Brenda says Terry Fox should be number one. Uh, some random guy says there, there's one woman on that list, right? Um, yeah, Kathy says wrestling's not fake. You know what? Kathy's actually 100% correct here. And maybe Kathy's a wrestling fan. I don't know. But I will check myself. She says it's not fake. It's just predetermined. It's not yeah. fake. I mean, guys get smoked in the head with folding chairs. And okay, we've got it's a panel. We, we've got like three 
of Canada's premier psychologist, or we've got three psychologists, like these are like experts in there and they're sitting here and I'm talking about whether or not it's fake when guys are getting smashed in the face with folding chairs. I guess that's what you get into when you agree to appear on Real Talk. You never know where it's going to go. How to talk to your kids, how to have tough conversations in just one second. Okay, but let me remind you real quick while we switch over our, our team behind the scenes. You wouldn't believe how good our team is making this stuff happen behind the scenes. I'll give them 30 seconds to make this switch here. As I remind you that we feed our family members, our furry ones, the dogs, Moses and Monroe, Grand Dog Essentials, quality raw food. It's so simple to deal with them. We've got the order in place. They get different foods. Moses and Monroe do based on their guts. Right, based on their digestive systems, Moses gets a supplement for his joints, and Monroe actually gets a supplement to help her chill out. She has anxiety. Uh, imagine a two-year-old lab with anxiety. Boy, is she a sweetheart. But she's pretty high-strung. And Grand Dog's team has helped us come up with a formula that has allowed our dogs to live their best lives. Quality of life is so important to us. I encourage you to check out granddog.ca. If you live in Calgary, Edmonton, or Red Deer, they will deliver to your door on a weekly basis. And the promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first-time order at granddog.ca. All right, so we know we're not alone on this. My wife and I had a conversation just the other night, Carrie and I did. Uh, what are we going to talk to Wyatt about when it comes to Ukraine? Like, to what degree will we enlighten him? Uh, to what degree will we allow him to watch the news with us, to see the suffering, uh, to watch with our own eyes a child his age in the back of an ambulance receiving CPR and not making it? You know, hospitals being bombed. Are we going to talk to our six-year-old about nuclear facilities under rocket attack? We're going to talk to Wyatt about the IPCC climate change report and what the implications could be and mudslides and wildfires and people's personal and mental health being impacted. We're going to talk about the tough stuff. Do we wait until he's 10? Do we talk to him with caveats and remind him that he's surrounded and always safe? People that love him very much. How do you do it? Dr. Jacqueline Layton is a professor of educational psychology at the University of Alberta, registered with the College of Alberta Psychologists. She teaches child and adolescent development and learning. Dr. Lynette Schultz is a professor in the Faculty of Education at the U of A, director of the Center of Global Citizenship Education and Research for more than a decade. She works with teachers and young people around the world on this global classroom platform. Looking forward to hearing about that. To help understand and discuss current issues and events that connect us as we learn to live together on a shared planet. And Dr. Elsie Lobo, uh, PhD in systems, families, and couples, a registered psychologist, works primarily with, with children, adolescents, and families. She's the manager of therapy at the Family Center and a clinician at Little Oaks Psychology Clinic. To the three of you, welcome to the show. Uh, Dr. Lobo, where are you checking in from? Where do you, where's home for you? I'm in Edmonton. You're, okay, good yeah. stuff. Well, we're grateful that all three of you have agreed uh, to join us. Uh, Elsie, why don't we start with you? I mean, it's, it's a question that I know a lot of people are asking right now. How do we talk to young kids about the tough subjects? And, and let me not pigeonhole our conversation here. I mean, why don't we start from age two, three, four, all the way up to 16, 17, 18? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and there is such a range of, of different ages and the ways that we have to approach conversations. Um to start with, we really want to understand from them what they already know, where they're at, if they have been exposed to anything. You know, a two or three-year-old may not really be picking up on what's going on necessarily um, or have any idea. They may experience some of the tension, especially if parents are tense um, or the family dynamic has shifted if parents are experiencing a lot themselves, but they may not necessarily understand, um, you know, what it really means or where Ukraine or Russia are things, you know, what climate change what might be. Um, and so we really just want to start with 
um, age appropriate facts and child appropriate facts. Every child's going to be different. You know, one five-year-old might be at one level, but another five-year-old who may already have a bit more of an anxious temperament um, might be a bit different. And so we would have to approach those conversations differently depending on the child as, as well. But doc um, oh, sorry, go ahead, doctor. Go ahead. Oh, I didn't mean I to cut just going my to apologies. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, so I was just gonna say, I usually start with just finding out what they know or what they've heard. Um, you know, that's usually a good place to start. It gives us some context of what they've already heard or what they might have seen um, or where they're at. Hmm. So that, that's usually the place to start. You know, I can't wait until we can have roundtables like this in person, just having coffee, sitting around a table, and I'm not going to be cutting you off and stepping on your toes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We're just going to we're just going to point the finger at you. Yeah, you go, you go, you go. We're so grateful to have you all here. I mean, that you know, I'm joking. Oh, I'm not. I'm serious. But you know, about all this stuff about Zoom and we're not together and all this, and that's just a reminder of this this two year period. Right. And, 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 and I think that Dr. Layton, if we're being honest, it, it's impacted every single one of us. Um, we've seen it in our little guy, at least what we think. We pick up on little signs that they can feel stress and that they can feel this kind of pressure that comes with this pandemic. So how do parents or caregivers, grandparents, teachers, educators, counselors, you know, how do, how do we process this and how do we relate to the little ones that might not always have the perspective or the words to express what they're experiencing? Correct. And good morning, Ryan, and good morning, others. Um, I One of the things to always remember is that parents are serving as the security and the safety mechanism for children. And so children are going to look to parents to feel safe. Whatever age we're talking about, whether really young or really close to 17, 18 years of age. And so as Elsie was, was pointing out, it's very important, especially when we're talking about really young children, to figure out, well, what, what do they know? Um, are they, do they have questions? And it's also important to be honest with them. And depending on the temperament of the child as a parent, you want to make sure that you're going to uh, um, create a conversation that is going to make them feel safe, that is going to make them feel that they have some control um, we all have our own levels of control. We can focus on the positive, but we also don't want to shy away from important conversations with children. They're picking up on the information anyways. And so the filter that parents provide in terms of how do we interpret this? How do we do so with compassion? How do we do, how do we interpret this also with correct information? Because we have so much information out there that we have to help children um, understand and make sense of the information. It requires also for parents to take care of themselves. It's difficult to take care of a child and certainly difficult to help them with any kind of worries they might have if we as parents are really ang angst-ridden ourselves. And so there are a number of, of activities that parents can do with their children to make sure that they know they're, they're going to be okay, that there are things that the world community is doing to address the situation. And more importantly, that there are very important steps that as a family you can take together to actually help ourselves and others during difficult times. Dr. Layton, I'm going to circle back uh, in just a moment. I want to ask you about some of those activities because I know that people have a great degree of interest. Uh, Dr. Schultz, your career, as mentioned in your introduction, you've, you've worked with teachers and, and, and young people around the world um, in talking about processing difficult issues and navigating life on, on what you describe as uh, quite rightfully as a shared planet. 
Uh, I guess based on, on Jacqueline's comments there where she says, you know, children are observing what's going on around us. Let's also note that a lot of kids don't have the luxury Maybe that's not the right word to use of being sheltered from some of this kids in Ukraine, kids in Syria, kids in the East Horn of Africa, kids around the world. I mean, real issues are daily issues that are impacting them directly. Let's acknowledge that, too. Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things from a very young age. Uh, students, uh, children are are very aware of what's going on, and they talk to each other. They're, um, you know, they they have social relations, and they they are trying to make sense of the world. And what what's happening in the world is very very evident to them. And and if we take the time to t- speak with them and to um, engage them in understanding the world. Um, as Paulo Freire um, taught us, a great educational um, philosopher, we need to teach kids to read the world and help them to read the world in order to, to become, um, you know, to full, full humans, to be literate. And so, um, you know, in my experience with, with uh, youth around the world, bringing students together across differences and helping them to speak together to sort through the, the, their concerns, but also to a place where their voice is taken seriously, where they are listened to and their, their thinking is, um, is valued. Um, then the, the kinds of relationships that build up, the, the, the skills that they have in understanding the world, it's really quite profound. And, and so a lot of the anxiety is, um, is released and the, and the, the, um, the youth feel, you know, um, ready to, to look at the world and understand what's going on. Um, you know, that the, we need to help uh, kids understand what's going on in the world. And, and I use a, um, both a justice framework and a culture of repair framework to enter into difficult conversations, whether it is the climate crisis or species extinction. Um, and and um, so students really understand, um, learn to understand and read, why, why is this happening? What's, what's, um, why are things this way and not another way? Huh. And, and I think that's where they, they can deal with some of that anxiety that, um, is of concern for parents. Dr. Loba, do you do you approach everything the same? I mean, is you know, our, our little guy the other day had a I asked him why he had put a little bear. I, I guess I'm getting personal here without his permission. I, I don't think he would mind. He's a pretty talkative and interactive kid. But he had blockaded his door as he was going to bed. And I went in to kiss him on the forehead and the door was blockaded a little bit. And I asked him what was up and I asked him why he was doing it. And he said, well, in case somebody comes in the house and tries to take him. And it kind of like for a split second, I thought, oh, kiddo, like, why is that on your mind? And he goes, oh, and it didn't seem to like particularly bother him, but something had been in his mind that he thought he had to take a step. So I actually took him downstairs. I won't detail our security system, but I showed him all the ways that there's no way that somebody's going to come in the house. And if they do, they'll deal with your dad, you know, and, and, and mom and dad are always going to be here and that sort of a thing. I mean, do you deal with that in the same way that you deal with Syria in the, you know, and Alan Curdy on the, the picture, the four year old on the beach? And do we deal with that in the same as um, the atmospheric rivers in B.C. and the wildfires in Fort McMurray and residential schools and these thousands of unmarked graves across the country of kids that were 
were the same age as our kids when they were murdered by people that were entrusted with their care? I mean, like, do we treat it all the same? Is it a subject by subject basis? Yeah, it really depends on, you know, what, how close maybe some of what they're experiencing is, right? So some things, I mean, I think at the foundation, there's always there, what is similar across is that we have to be that security. We have to be that reassurance for kids to help them know that they're safe and that, you know, we're going to do everything we can and there are experts in the world working to help keep us all safe as well. And so that should be consistent, but depending on the, the subject and how close to it, how close it is to, to home, um, we might do different things um, or have different conversations. We might, you know, even create some actions that we can do as a family. Maybe, maybe we have a bit more control in some situations than we do in others. Um, so I think, I mean, the things that are consistent are, you know, providing that security, explaining, giving age appropriate and child appropriate facts to them. But then the things that we might do around the content of what's happening would be different. Hmm. Dr. Layton, let me ask you, you referenced activities that you say that parents can do with kids. Can, can, can you give us an example or two of, of what they might look like, some tools people can take from this conversation? For sure. And before I do that, I want to first give a shout out to an excellent website, and that's the UNICEF website. And the UNICEF website has a parenting module, and it, it has a number of excellent articles on distress in children and talking to kids about uh, war and conflict. But one of the one of the important set of activities that this website uh, discusses, and I, based on my own research and, and the things that I teach, I think are excellent suggestions, include emotional checking, right? So for parents, you can have a conversation about one really difficult topic, but it shouldn't be the only conversation. So checking in with kids and figuring out, like watching them, observing them, are they having trouble sleeping? Are, is their eating uh, changing? Um, kids have ways of letting us know if they are feeling distressed. And so checking in with, with children continually. Also, there are activities that can reduce stress. One of the things that I really love is called belly breathing. So helping your child, for example, learn to breathe in and out and in and out and being able to really calm themselves if they're feeling really anxious or really nervous. And you can do these activities at the same time as you are engaging in age appropriate conversations. Another one is to uh, begin to, to do my special place activities. So for example, again, these are all relaxation techniques. And uh, you, as a parent, you would help the child imagine um, being in a really calm, safe place, uh, the sun shining, no, no noise, and really bringing a lot of calm and reassurance to the child. Another one is just exercise. Exercise is a great way, not only for mom and dad, but also kids to be able to um, get good dopamine uh, highs mm -hmm. and also bring down their stress. There, I've mentioned lots. I love it. I was, uh, I, I was a, I was a poor, uh, I, I didn't live up to my housekeeping this fall. I've been informed by my son, for starters, and my wife as well. I left the trampoline up, and, and, and it managed to collect quite a bit of snow, and it started to droop, and Carrie's looking at me. She's right, and she goes, it's going to get wrecked. The trampoline's going to get wrecked. And I looked at my little guy, and I said, you want to join me out there? You want to get a shovel out there and help your dad get that snow off that trampoline? And I'll tell you what. I mean, it was one of those things. It's backbreaking work, and I'm like, you know, but it was one of the most fun times. Obviously, there was a snowball fight as part of it, and when it was all cleared off, he was jumping in his winter boots 
suits and and it was like I I realized at the time I was like that was actually a wonderful time together where we blew off a little bit of steam nothing else was on our mind I know exactly what you're talking about doc uh, Dr. Schultz let me ask you this is a great question um, Deborah on our live chat watching on YouTube says you know video games today are so sophisticated they're really well done they look very real uh, what might this panel what do the experts think of the relationship between reality and fantasy probably not the first time you've been asked this question <laughs> yeah this is um well i'm just gonna you know i just want to say the teachers that we have are doing some of this already and so in, in particularly in understanding reality and fantasy that's that's built into good curriculums um, uh, and, and, it, and teachers are working with that, with students to distinguish that. And so, you know, the thing about it is that you're not on your own as a parent, you know, you can talk with teachers and, um, and, and understand what to listen for. Uh, you know, you just listen carefully to your kids, or uh, if you're working with a group of kids, you know, you start to listen to how how children are talking um, about uh, fantasy and, and reality. Um, you know, one of the things, it, it really comes down to um, helping the, the, helping what kids articulate what is it they want to do? Like, what's the next right thing to do? And when we're, when we're trying to understand a global issue and understand it at this personal level, I think it's important also to help children to see that it's not just them, that this is actually a shared concern and, um, and that the burden isn't on individuals. This is something, so we want to talk together or should we, you know, can we bring our cousins together or can we talk to your classroom? What's the next right thing that we could do to address this? And even at very young ages, but it gets very sophisticated in um, as children get older. I mean, really, if you wanna understand justice, just hang out with a group of 10 year olds, mm. right? Uh, they know exactly what's the next right thing to do. They know how to make connection between the, the fight that was in the playground and this big war that's going on, right? They know exactly, they zero in. And so we give them opportunities to discuss that. We give them our opportunities to say, all right, what we need to do is this. Whether it is having a bake sale and raising some money to send to an an organization, whether it's um, uh, collecting together and learning how to write a letter to a to an official, there's a to build in them the sense that together we actually can take a step because this issue affects me and it affects the world, and we're making that kind of connection. Doctors, I've been uh, looking forward to asking the three of you this question for a long time. This was a month ago. On February 1st, I tweeted, which means that it was January. No, it was February. This was the day I picked up Wyatt from school. So I tweeted this at 3.40 Mountain Time. Uh, I pick him up at 3.20. So this is 20 minutes after. It takes us 10 minutes to walk home. So I'd been at home for 10 minutes. When I walked home, hand in hand with my little guy, about halfway home, he says, Daddy, why did we have to be quiet under our desks during the lockdown drill at school today? And I tweeted, well, I wasn't quite prepared to answer this question when I picked up our little guy from grade one today. Parents, how would you handle this? And I got hundreds of replies, hundreds of them. 
like this one from Mrs. Beerworth, who says, these drills always break my heart, and our daughter's in grade eight. Sue says, the reality is this drill is largely driven by concerns of liability. No child psychologists were brought in to help make it age-appropriate. A school shooting is a chaotic, unpredictable, and thankfully still an exceptionally unlikely event, thanks to Canadian gun laws. Dr. Carmen Dodsworth, out of the practice down in Calgary, said, I would start by asking about their experience to explore what they were told by teachers and students and what they felt like. That'll focus you on the child's experience so you don't come from a place of trying to explain away your understandable discomfort as a parent. You know, there was this uh, recurring message from people that said, why don't you tell your son that, that you do that uh, in case a moose gets into the school or in case a pack of coyotes get into the school or a skunk? Then you got to be quiet because you got to be able to hear your teacher's instructions. And I thought, okay, okay, that, I can work with that one. Uh, Dr. Lobo, I mean, what do parents say to kids in grade one or two asking about why they have to be quiet during lockdown drills? Yeah, for when I would validate the experience, it is scary. I used to work in schools and had to do these drills. And even for me as an adult, it, it is a little bit um, intimidating, right? They kind of come around and they'll, you know, they'll have the police or whatever knock on your door and bang on your door and ask to be let in. And, and it is a bit scary. So I usually just start off by validating and asking about, you know, how did that feel for you? What, what was happening? Um, and then I usually move to focusing on the safety. You know, one of the school's job is to help to keep you safe. And, you know, while everybody does everything they can to always keep anybody who might want to harm us outside, um, you know, they just want to make sure that they have these backup things. It's pretty rare. I might even look at stats depending on the age of the child. Um, you know, it's pretty rare that anything happens. But, you know, sometimes we like to do these things in our world just to just in case. Um, and so it's one of those just in case things that, you know, we just it's part of helping to build safety and security that hopefully we'll never have to use it. But in case if we ever do, at least we know know what to expect hmm. and what has to be done. Dr. Layton, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree. And, and you know, I, I would disagree that these um, lockdowns or drills or whatever you might call them um, are unnecessary. I think that it's important to in an age appropriate way, introduce children to the world that they're living in. And I think that it can be done with compassion. I think it can be done with care, but kids are going to figure out that things are happening around them and guns or, or danger and things that might happen in the school is something that they deserve to know about, but they also deserve to know how to stay safe. And as um, has already been said before, one of the, the, the main things to always remember is that children want to be safe. They want to feel secure. And so if we can have conversations that are age appropriate and give children the opportunity to learn about the world, but also at the same time to realize that we as adults are keeping them safe, they're not going to be as upset as we might think with an exercise that is designed primarily to keep them safe. It's really all in the delivery of whatever it is that we do with children. Kids are incredibly smart and resilient. And if we can capitalize on that in age appropriate and sensitive ways, they can handle a lot. Can I, th I want to introduce an, uh, another point to you, uh, Dr. Schultz, before we get you to, to touch on this, because Terry on our live chat has, has brought in another very important point, and it's another very heavy subject, obviously, about sexual abuse. And Terry says, uh, you know, you've got to talk to your kids about it. It's the best way to prevent it from happening. Lots of tools online to keep it age appropriate. Terry says, 
I don't know if this is accurate. I'm sure it is. Take a word for it for now. Says one in four kids will be abused. That from Terry. Uh, Dr. Schultz, so there's another hard conversation. I know that there's not going to be a parent here that says, my number one plan is to just bubble wrap my kid and shelter them and have them, you know, be under the impression that there's no bad things, no bad people, no bad actors. So what about that one? You know, again, um, one of the things that we have to, to do is to help children to make connections. Well, not just children, adults too, right? That, that, so safety and concern about in your own life up to the big issues that affect the world, you know, the, the constant, the conversation can be around, you know, what, what are we doing? What are people doing? What is, and, and broadly, what, what is happening to keep people safe? And so, you know, I, I was thinking about the kids after the, the safety drill and, you know, at a, at a, after you deal with the immediate concerns, you can begin and build a kind of knowledge about safety and about protection. What do I need to do and what do I need to do in my community or in our school? And so that to, to be safe and you can make those connections and, uh, and make the link between personal safety and you know, uh, um, consent and all those, those issues from a very young age and start building a vocabulary, but also this connection about um, taking care of each other. Again, you know, the foundations have to be, uh, again, around taking care of each other. I, I, again, I use this notion of a culture of repair. How do we repair things? How do we take care of things to fix what's broken here? Right. And that conversation can just be a thread through all these big issues. I so appreciate these perspectives. Always in a conversation like this, want to just leave one opportunity before we thank you for your time for you all uh, to, you know, sort of address something that was maybe going to be left on the table or to tie it up nicely with a bow. You know, oftentimes I'll get a text or an email from a guest. They'll say, I wish we would have had one more minute so I could have said this. And I go, oh, no. So, Dr. Lovo, uh, last word uh, for each of you. Why don't, why don't you take this one first? A closing thought, something for us to walk with or consider moving forward. Sure. I think that the thing I had in mind is that we can't always protect children from their from feeling things. Right. And so I think sometimes we want to do that. We want to kind of hide them and keep them happy. Um, but really the job, especially in childhood, is to help kids to learn to cope with their feelings and to have those feelings and what can they do with them? Um, how can they process what they're experiencing? Who can they talk to? How, how can they cope and start to build those strategies for them so that as they progress through life and, and maybe more head on have to deal with difficult feelings, um, that they have those tools with them. So so I guess that's the thing I want to leave everybody with is just that we don't want to protect or shelter kids. We want to teach them to experience feelings and how to how to cope with those feelings. I appreciate that. Dr. Schultz, a final thought from you. Oh, um, you know, I, I guess I just want to highlight how important it is that um, we help kids, whatever age, make connections with others, um, that it isn't that that kids aren't left alone to feel responsible, uh, to feel afraid, um, that we connect them with the good things that are going on in their school, in their communities, et cetera, so that they can understand that, um, that they aren't powerless, right? Um, and that while adults are, are protecting them, they also are 
finding their feet as a, as a person um, in, in society. That will help them a lot. I love that. Dr. Layton, bring us home. Well, all really, really good. And I would agree with everything that's been said. One, my final thought is that kids are all different. And it's important to pay attention to the individual child. And some kids are going to want to talk a lot. Some kids are going to be fine, not necessarily talking a great deal because, hey, they're just being kids and they, they may not necessarily want to talk as much as you think they want to talk. And so I think that the, the whole idea that there is a one size fits all to the, all children is actually a, a misconception. We it's much better for parents to pay attention to the individual aspects of their individual children and if they and to be available be available to talk be available to check in and to recognize that even within one family kids are going to react differently to different events well said that's uh, dr jacqueline layton a professor of educational psychology at the u of a uh, teaches child and adolescent development and learning dr lynette schultz has joined us also a professor in the faculty of education u of a director of the center for global citizenship education and research and dr elsie lobo a registered psychologist manager of therapy at the family center and a clinician at little oaks psychology clinic to the three of you thank you for this you've given us the tools that i think a lot of us have been You're looking good. for we appreciate it thank you brian you bet thank you if you liked what you heard, we're not going to be shy. We're going to ask you to smash that like button. If you don't subscribe to us on podcast or YouTube, we'll ask you to do that too. And be sure to share the link. Sarah Hoyles, producer of this show, will be pushing out the highlights from our official Twitter account at RealTalkRJ a little later on today. And we encourage you to pass that along to people. You know, we know that parents, uh, caregivers, grandparents, maybe older siblings, whatever the case may be, uh, are looking for tools on how to talk to kids about the tough stuff. It's all around us all the time. There's always that reality. Right. And uh, we hope that this has helped you navigate some of those tough waters. I'm uh, going to get to Sarah Hoyles in just a second. I'm looking forward to, to what she has to say about Canada, this list of the top 10 athletes in Canadian history, plus other news of the day. And we got trash talk coming up. Um, I want to remind you about our partnership with Park Power. Right now, if you go to parkpower.ca, you can learn about the company and what sets it apart. They're an independent uh, owned uh, utilities company. Based, as the name would suggest, on a Sherwood Park, Alberta, they provide electricity, natural gas, and internet to homes, businesses, and farms throughout the province. Not your traditional corporate utilities provider. They're a small business. They believe in supporting the local economy. It's why they donate 10% of their electricity profits to nonprofits in their neck of the woods. And you can, when you sign up and bring your business over, choose which charity you want to benefit. So as you're paying your electricity bill, some of that's going to charity. How cool is that? The promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill at parkpower.ca. We welcomed Infinity Healthcare to our roster this week, and we are already receiving emails from people. One from a guy in Saskatchewan yesterday who said, my mom's care right now is an absolute disaster do you think infinity could help i connected him with the team at infinity healthcare they're already on it you can find them online just look under the sponsors tab on our website ryanjesperson.com or infinity-8 the number eight infinity-8.ca while you're there check this out it's under services you go to home support personal care nursing care and here it is alberta health service services self-managed care ahs self-managed care now did you know that you don't have to have a million dollars in the bank to benefit from a private healthcare provider like infinity healthcare they work with public funding to help your family get the care it needs people don't know about this 
That's why Infinity's partnering with us. Check them out online today. And of course, you know, I've been really excited to be telling you about our wine partner of the month this month. Our Real Talk wine partner is the Titan Winery at Kendall Jackson. It's arguably the most prominent wine brand in the entire United States and certainly a celebrated winery on the West Coast. You can shop them online at kj.com or at your favorite fine wine store if you don't see kendall jackson on the shelf you ask them for it ask him to bring it in and let them know that you heard about him on real talk now why are we excited to partner with kendall jackson it kind of goes back to our conversation with dr harper earlier in the show today what steps can people and neighborhoods and organizations and corporate entities take to benefit the planet There's a whole section on Kendall Jackson's website about sustainability. I encourage you to check it out. How are they putting their money where their mouth is? What are they doing on water conservation? What are they doing to keep their soil as healthy as they can? What are the big steps they're taking to leave small footprints? You can learn more at kj.com. Sarah Hoyle is the editorial producer of this show, Um, checking in this morning from her home studio. And Hoyles, we've been looking forward to getting into this list with you. I was telling Sam, I saw Bret Hart trending and I'm going, why is Bret Hart trending? And then, of course, I see behind the scenes, you've sent me this list as well. Of course, you're on top of it. You go, you see this? The top 10 Canadian athletes posted by Bodog, the online wagering site. They're not sponsoring this conversation, by the way. From 10 to 1, Bret Hart. GSP, George St. Pierre, Mike Weir, Sidney Crosby, Haley Wickenheiser, Steve Nash, number five, Mario Lemieux, number four, Clara Hughes in the top three, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, number two, and Terry Fox, number one. Your general thoughts on the list. I think it's pretty good. It's pretty Ah. decent. But yeah, the wrestling, uh, I mean, for acting awards, sure. Maybe he can get an acting award. I do not. I do not disagree that you know they do have to be athletic and they need to you know take some serious blows but um top athlete yeah i sam and i both i think were our eyebrows raised that christine sinclair is not on the list uh she and my mind that's indisputable like you she's almost i think christine sinclair has kind of got to be top five as a matter of fact if you look at she's the all-time international scoring leader all time not for canada like period on planet earth and uh she's an olympic gold medalist and uh she's an olympic silver medalist for that matter and she's an international superstar so i think that's wild i think it's interesting that donovan bailey's not on the list too and bodog pointed that out in their alternate list i should point out their alternate list is christine sinclair number one christine sinclair number two donovan bailey number three christine sinclair number four five six seven eight and nine and then bret hart number ten so (laughs) So Bret Hart stays on the list on Bodog's alternative list. Um, but that's kind of an interesting one. Donovan Bailey, I mean, the world's fastest man, kind of, uh, I mean, in dominant fashion, What he, his, his, his rivalry with Michael Johnson in the United States, which I loved, Michael Johnson's alleged hamstring injury in the 150-meter race that they set up. You know what I mean? Like that just to read Donovan Bailey for, for the better part of a, almost a decade was Canada's greatest export, I, I felt. So I'd love to see him on that list, too. Yeah, I mean, I think also looking at, uh, to Sam's point earlier, the idea that, you know, we're only looking at a certain just small pie section of sport in Canada and in the world for this list. It's only, what, the last 30, 40 years. So what's coming up before that? Uh, so I don't know. I'm, uh, 
I my mind is not set on this list. Yeah, my, I my buddy don't. Wayne uh, has a, he's my mechanic and my pal, and they stream Real Talk in in in, in the shop. So th- this is a shout out to them. But he's a competitive. He's a sponsored competitive. Uh, what do you call it? a timber sports athlete? So he runs the saws. And I, I would suspect that like if you if you look into the more niche sports as well, right? Like Sam, you've seen these guys compete. Wayne has a 250 cc two stroke saw. It's like the motor, literally the motor from a dirt bike. And it runs this saw that's just Wayne. I brought he, he was like laughing so hard. He was crying one day. He asked me to bring in my saw, my chainsaw, which I was pretty proud of. And I brought it in and he goes, that's not a bad garden saw. He has to call it a garden saw, first of all. And then there's just sitting there. They're just laughing at my saw, which is like it was like I brought a Toyota Prius to like a Dodge Ram 3500 convention. Um, but I don't know, maybe timber sports, maybe the Canada's best timber sport athlete should be on the list. Yeah, a little bit like timber sports are underrepresented. Curling is massively underrepresented. I want to right. state my objection to that. There's no CFLers on this list. I also want to take state my objection to that. OK, I might quit over this. Sam. Oh, boy. You're teeing this up, aren't you? <laughs> Brooks. Fucking Sam. Uh, hey, seriously, all-time Who would be on it if you're putting a CFL athlete on the list? Doug Flutie? Flutie's up there. Like, I'm thinking about Anthony Calvillo, but he's actually, he's not technically a Canadian athlete. He's played his entire career Is he from New Canada. Mexico or somewhere? He, yeah, and he's like, like of pro, like American-style pro football, for a while, he was like the all-time leader in touchdowns and in passing yards. And Yes. You know what I mean? So it's like, and, and he played his entire career in the CFL. Okay, how about curling? You said Ooh, curling. curling. Um, well, I mean, I still think Jennifer Jones is the goat, in my yeah. opinion, even yeah. though the Olympics didn't work out too well this time, um, right off the top of my head. When you start talking about the greatest of all time in Canadian curling, you're opening up a can That's there, too. That's a huge can. I've been saying this at the last three Olympics, too. It's like, we haven't been doing as well in curling, and I said it's like... It's not really a slight on Canada so much as like the rest of the world just got a lot better at it's it. It's a good thing. It is. If you don't win gold every time. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like you look at it means even the, the sport's healthy. Right? The World Junior Hockey Championship rescheduled coming up for August. I'm looking forward to that. And it's like, oh, Canada doesn't win gold every single year. Good. Like it's good if the Finns win one or if, you know, uh, not the Russians. Fuck Russia right now. But <laughs> they're not even going to be there. It's true. They're not. And I don't I don't can't say that I'm it's, it's good if the U.S. wins. Good. It's not good. No, but in all seriousness, it is good. It is good if the Americans win one every once in a while, too. Sarah, let, let's get serious for, you know, I mean, obviously the show, you know, part of our commitment to our audience is we're going to keep them in the know with things that are going on right now. And obviously, this, you know, in Ukraine, it's a fluid situation. It's always changing. But the big story right now has to be these attacks on these nuclear facilities. What's going on? Yeah, I think your sentiment is right. Fuck Russia. Uh, so, yeah, there's. Uh, an actual nuclear power plant. It's one of the largest in Ukraine. It came under shelling overnight, and now Russia has control of it. Luckily, Ukraine staff is still on site and running it. So they're, they're saying that there is no emissions, like no raised emissions or anything of the sort coming from that site, which is great, great news for everyone on this planet. Uh, another bre- piece of breaking news is that Ukraine's demand or request, please NATO to create a no-fly zone over the country, has been denied. They're basically saying that they don't want to get involved. They can't get involved. They're not. They are not a NATO country. Therefore, NATO cannot make that kind of sanction. Oh, another piece is war crimes. Um, they, the UN Human Rights Council, votes to investigate Russian aggression against Ukraine. There's uh, talk that there have been war crimes um, and 
rape. And I, uh, uh, and you know what, Sarah, like I, I hate to put it this way, but people are saying, and I'm seeing a lot of experts on foreign policy and international diplomacy, and for that matter, conflict that are saying it's going to get a lot worse. Like this, it's going to get a lot worse. So we'll, well, obviously we're going to keep our focus on this uh, starting at the very beginning of next week. And I know that you've already got irons in the fire for that uh, as our coverage will continue. Um, Sam, you, you knew you opened up a can here in naming the greatest Canadian curler of all time. And, and people are already uh, chiming in and, and people are talking about, you know, uh, Senator Schmirler and people are talking about Randy Furby. I had a conversation with a with a with a guy, a buddy of mine, the other day. We we were talking about the greatest. I said, "Who's the greatest curler of all time?" Because my buddy's a curler. I go, "Who's the greatest?" And he goes, "I don't know." He goes, "Like Randy Furby was really good." He goes, "But he's a bit of an asshole." And I go, "So?" <laughs> I didn't ask who the nicest curler was of all time. I asked who the best was of all time. So who knows that? Um, this is a, is is a tough day for us, Sam. To be honest with you. Some people are aware that um, you're going to be moving on from your daily duties here as technical producer of the show, as uh, the co-pilot, the guy that's flown us through the clouds on so many mornings, the guy that built our technical infrastructure and that has been such a huge part of our team, uh, not just on the technical and operations side, but as a, as a contributing team member, as a guy that would burn the midnight oil, as a guy that would troubleshoot and solve problems and give it his all and pour himself into the job every single day um you will always be part of the real talk family i'm sure that people at some point will see you pop up from time to time uh but i wanted to take this opportunity to let you know and i said it to you privately before and now i will drag it into the public arena <laughs> that you are on the mount rushmore of real talk and um we're grateful for our friendship with you and for the incredible contributions you've made to this team and we want to take this second to thank you on this what is your last day as technical producer yeah it's been it's been a ride um you, know, you came to me about a year and almost a year and five months ago or so and said well i want to make a podcast and i thought okay it's gonna be like a weekly thing that sounds like a pretty good thing yeah i want to do it daily <laughs> okay i think I <laughs> and can live that. yeah and live yeah and video and i want you to take a mic and give commentary every once in a while <laughs> i was like Okay, so this is ambitious on top of ambitious on top of ambitious on top of ambitious. And then I found out that you were an engineer by trade, and so I said, well, great, you can also be our scientific consultant yeah. in conversation. So I've worn a lot of hats around here, and, and like, dude, I love this place. It's been, it's been so fun building something from the ground up. Um, I'm excited to see where it goes next. Um, I don't really have much more to say than that. Just uh, real talkers, you've been amazing to me. This community has been incredible to meet, and... Uh, Onwards and upwards, my friend. I'm yeah. very excited to see what comes next. Well, we love you, Brooksy. I've told you that, and uh, we're so grateful. And uh, of course, our the friendship just evolves, and the relationship evolves and moves forward. And and we're looking forward to seeing what you're going to do with maybe now some free time. Maybe you get to I don't know if you, you don't strike me as the type that's going to sleep in later. Now I don't know if you will or not, but at least take a week and sleep. I dare you to sleep in till ten o'clock on Monday morning. I dare you. I can't sleep. I don't think I've ever slept in until ten o'clock in my life. Liberate yourself. Like a t I don't know what I would do with that i wake up and the world's already happening like that's just weird yeah well man from the bottom of our heart thank you sam and, and we're gonna miss you like hell around here uh real talkers you will meet the new guy on monday and i'm excited to grow our team in that direction um you want to do this one more time sam should we do it one more time together, ramp things up? You know, every Friday as we wrap up our broadcast week, our friends at Local Environmental, give us a chance to blow off a little steam and say what we mean and mean what we say in the form of emails in a feature we call Trash Talk! 
All right, this one from Kyla, who says, you want to know what's, like, the worst? Like, what's the worst? When it snows overnight and you come out to your vehicle and you realize you need a couple extra minutes to grab the snow brush and clear your windows, and so you open your car door and whoosh, a huge drift of snow gets sucked into the vehicle and settles like freshly fallen snow onto your driver's seat every single time. Wet pants on the way to work. The worst. That from Kyla. I feel your pain, girl. This from Donna, who says, I cannot fully express how absolutely pissed I am regarding everything that Alberta's Premier spews out of his mouth. He's a fucked up man. Gets his jollies from denigrating liberal-minded people, whether they're in support of public education or members of the LGBTQ2S plus community or health restrictions. He totally reduced them in an attempt to keep his job a little longer. He walks a fine line between moderate conservatives and far-right radicals, abandons anybody in the center, let alone the left. How did this guy ever get this far? I was once frightened at the thought of Brian Jean in the Lake of Fire Party getting leadership. Now I believe Brian Jean has a heartbeat and Jason doesn't. I'm happy that city folks are realizing what's going to happen if we're not careful. I pray hospitalized numbers start to drop, but I've lost faith that this government actually cares. They can't think for the many people needing surgeries. They can't think for the people being set months in their recovery. They can't think about anybody that's been traumatized by this uncaring premier, his constant bashing of teachers, his early harassment of medical personnel. This will leave scars. This makes me embarrassed. That from Donna. What about this one from Laurel, who says February of 2022 should go down in history as the most embarrassing month in history to be from Alberta. I was born in Saskatchewan, but I've lived here for almost 20 years. And the amount of hate for our prime minister in this province is bordering on cultish. The convoy was started by a group of Western separatists who named their little project Canada Unity, and the, the irony needs to be savored, but I will move on, okay? They got this coup d'etat. They've got this idiotic memorandum of understanding. I mean, they don't even understand they wouldn't be allowed into the U.S. regardless, but again, I will move on. I'd like to remind people to look back on the 10 years of Stephen Harper's conservative government. I wasn't his biggest fan. In fact, when a young Senate page stu stood up with that Stop Harper sign during a throne speech, many Canadians rallied and worked hard to remove that government from power. We worked in our communities. We found candidates. We knocked on doors. We got out the vote. And in 2015, that happened. We didn't drive to Ottawa with a ludicrous plan to overthrow a recently elected government and create mayhem in the lives of our fellow Canadians. As Albertans, we got to own this. We have much work to do. Happy Friday, Laurel P.S. Fuck Putin. Thank you, Laurel. What about this one from Nicole, who says, Hey, Captain Kobe, I love what you had to say about the truckers and freedoms, but what the fuck, man? Calling convoyers wannabe heroes with GEDs and Class 1s? Using somebody's education to insult them? You fucking kidding me? And then you, Ryan, quoting the line, not once, but twice? Yeah, laugh it up, boys. And then explain to me what education has to do with any of this. I know a shitload of intelligent people with their GEDs, and they overcame incredible odds to get them. That includes my own dad. Not everybody's privileged enough to have access to higher education or maybe they just don't fucking want it you two that doesn't mean they should be lumped in with the selfish spoiled babies who call their tantrum a protest and it certainly doesn't mean they should ever be made to feel less than and yes I see you rolling your eyes that I'm some snowflake who's easily offended uh uh I'm reading it she says fuck that I'm just tired of this elitist bullshit coming from people who think they're progressive people wanted to believe that Trump voters were all uneducated you would be wrong it would be comforting to believe that but it's a bit more complicated than that 
don't you think? Captain Kobe, next you're going to tell me if I don't like what's being said, I don't have to listen. You don't get off that easy, son. I'm going to listen to your bullshit, and then I'm going to call you out for it. Ironically, making fun of somebody's education just ain't all that intelligent. That from Nicole. Love it! And this one from Annie, who says, it seems to me... People are more afraid now than maybe ever before to even consider opinions different than their own. I see it everywhere, even with my own friends. I see it in my workplace. I see it in society. I even see it with my fellow real talkers. I watch every morning, including the live chat, but I don't participate. I'm also one of those lurkers on Twitter. I have an account, but I don't tweet. I'm just there to watch and learn. At least learning's what I thought I'd be doing. Now it's just a bunch of monkeys throwing poop at each other in the zoo for the entertainment of the zoo goers. And I guess I'm the zoo goer in this one. <laughs> a couple examples pretty close to home for you, Ryan, flared up this week. Your interview with that Captain Kobe guy, which I thought was really great. And your thoughts yesterday about mask policies or habits and immunocompromised people and your friend with CF. Seeing that one guy call you a Kenny apologist, another lady call you a flippant and uncaring person, and the person call you a selfish piece of shit for getting people thinking about when at some point in the future, whenever that is, they're going to start maybe... Sorta, kinda, considering when they might stop wearing a mask outdoors? Like... Anyway, I'm going to keep on doing my thing, says Annie, which has always been to try to consider where other people are coming from. Try to keep an open mind. Realize that behind all of our opinions are people, human beings. There are bigger problems, bigger fish to fry. Cancer kids are taking shelter in parkades in Ukraine right now. Food and medical supplies are running low. Let's keep our perspective and have a great weekend, everybody. That from Annie. Coming up on the show on Monday, we've got a star-studded show in store, and the next week's looking good, too, including how tensions surround surrounding Ukraine and the border blockade in Coots, Alberta are actually related. Dr. Andy Knight's going to talk to us about that. Plus, science journalist David McCraney's got a new book coming out, Why Some People Never Change Their Minds and Others Do in an Instant. We'll get into how minds change. And Sam, in your final visual switch of your time here as the daily technical producer of Real Talk, please take this board, which features you looking great in a vest and a bow tie, as we wish you all the best, Brooksy. Hey, Real Talkers, we'll see you Monday. In the meantime, be good to one another. One love. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.